Hi, let's get spiritual listeners. Hey, you may have noticed that uh, we've missed one or two podcasts. Brother T's taking a little time off, and uh, so we're not doing our regular podcast for the previous week and this week. But uh, so some of you may know that I am a pastor emeritus of a church where I also have some teaching responsibilities, and some of the folks that I've spoken to personally want to know, are those teachings available? Well, really no. It's in a classroom setting without too much uh, recording facilities or availability. So uh, what I've decided to do is make a few bonus podcasts, and we'll be listed as such in the title uh, for those of you who'd like to hear. I'm currently doing a series on the book of First Thessalonians called Eager for Christ's Return. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick up on the second lesson. You've only missed one if you start right now. And I will make sure in the class I do just a little bit of backup, a little uh, recap of the things I taught on the previous week. And I'm going to be publishing these alongside our weekly Let's Get Spiritual podcast. So if you want to hear just some good, uh, well, I guess, Uh, that's my own estimation that it's good. Let's just say a verse-by-verse exposition of 1 Thessalonians with a concentration on their eagerness for the return of Christ and their questions concerning why it had not yet happened or if they had missed it. Um, I'm going to be doing that, and I'm going to be publishing that alongside our regular podcast. So it'll say bonus episode, and it will say eager for Christ's return. And if you would like to listen, then we would love to have you. Uh, If not, that's fine. Our regularly scheduled podcast begins again next week. And uh, I'm looking forward to getting back with Brother T. Until that time, I hope that you enjoyed this study, Eager for Christ's Return, verse by verse in the book of 1 Thessalonians. Be blessed. All right, so welcome to the class and welcome to those who are listening on Let's Get Spiritual Podcast. We are in 1 Thessalonians in a study called Eager for Christ's Return. Let's get right into chapter 2 because there's some things I would really want us to cover tonight. Obviously, we will never cover every verse because I think we have through the first week in December and we will miss the week of Thanksgiving. So there's no way I can go you know, in depth in every verse, but we're going to pick out key passages and talk. So let's read the first five verses. For you yourselves... No, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak 
for covetousness, God is witness. Now, if I were to break down this first section, that is verses 1 through 12, there's 20 verses in chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, pretty much is Paul defending his own integrity. Now, because they always say, right, if you want to discredit the message, discredit the messenger. And so many people are opposing Paul, not liking that he is gathering people unto himself and to the Lord Jesus Christ, particularly the Jews in the city. They don't like what's going on. So they are attempting in every respect to discredit him. We remember from last week's lesson, right, that he got run out of town after three weeks. He spent three weekends in the synagogue. And after that, man, they run him out of town and even kind of uh, terrorized some of the people who were boarding him, Jason and others in the city, because Paul was gone. So I want you to know, verses 1 through 5 of this first section is Paul talking about the purity of his ministry. And then, in case we don't get to talk about it in depth, verses 6 through 9, he's talking about the purity of his motives. And it's not the best word for me to use, but, you know, if we're going to make it uh, alliteration, the third would be verses 10 through 12, and the purity of his manner. So the purity of his ministry, the purity of his motives, the purity of his manner. This is him defending himself in front of the people so that the message of Jesus Christ may not be discredited. So he begins by saying, For you yourselves know, You are aware of this. It begins with a section where Paul is defending his own character and ministry before the Thessalonians. Now, it wasn't because Paul was insecure about his ministry. That is far from the case. He was certain he was called by God. He was certain he was called to this responsibility. And he knew he was in the middle of God's will at the right place at the right time. But the reason why he's having to do this is because he has so many enemies. So many people are speaking against him. They had discredited him or attempted to in his absence. Remember, he spent three weeks there, had to leave hurriedly, and now this is a letter written back to them after hearing from Timothy what was going on in the city. But in this interim time, while he's been absent, the people have arisen who have tried to discredit Paul and his ministry and even his characters. Paul's enemies said that he left town so quickly because he was a self-serving coward. You know, that he, he should have stayed. Well, no, he was in the middle of God's will. And Paul knew that as he shared the facts, it would vindicate the fact that he was pure in his motives, his ministry, and his manner. So uh, I, I took the things that were written there in the first verses and turned them into accusations by looking at the things that were said about him. Number one, they would say, Paul has a police record. Right? And he does. He had just been in jail before he got there. He had an impromptu prison ministry. Not coming in from the outside in, but from the inside out. Paul had a prison ministry. And so they said, you know, he had suffered because of his imprisonment. Then they would have said, 
Paul is unsteady. It's because they use the word error in this text. Paul has many errors. He's an unsteady teacher. He doesn't, he's just, you can't trust what he's saying. And then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, uh, they use the term uncleanness. He's defending that. That would be his impure motives because they say unclean. They'd say Paul's motives are wrong. He has impure motives for selfish gain, and we'll talk about that later. They would say that Paul used deceit in his methods. You notice in the opening text, they say that he was, or perhaps, full of deceit. Say that Paul preaches to please others, not God, because he declares in there that we don't speak as pleasing men. Uh, You know, the preacher in me wants to stop on each one of those points and talk, but we really can't. I'm just trying to share with you here perhaps what people were saying against him in his absence. He said, nor did we seek glory from men, he said. We didn't please men, nor did we seek glory from men. So what must they have said? Well, Paul just wants personal glory. Paul wants to make a name for himself. And he then says, we were gentle among you. And that gentle means the way in which he instructed them. So they must have said something like, Paul's nothing but a dictator. It's his way or the highway. Right? I think Paul is much like Jesus in which Jesus would talk about the gentleness of his spirit and his teaching. He did not have a heavy burden unlike the others who taught for their own uh, self-glory. Then he says, our coming to you is not in vain. The word vain here can either refer to the result of his ministry or the character of his ministry. If it were the result of his ministry, you know, as Solomon would say, vanity, vanity. All is vanity. And, you know, he said, no, when we came there, we accomplished what we intended, although it was only three weeks. But they also may have been saying the character of his ministry was vain. It was self-centered. But it is evident that because of Paul's success in that place, that he had a pure ministry and a pure heart before them. He said, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. You see, no matter what they were saying about him, Paul was not speaking in a way that was convenient. He knew what it was like to speak boldly, and when you speak boldly, there is inevitable conflict. He said, that's what we do. I um, had the opportunity to have coffee with some pastors yesterday. Now, I'm not obligated to do that anymore. Matter of fact, I was talking to my friend Bob Record today on the phone, and uh, he had called me yesterday morning. Uh, he and his wife and my wife and I are going to have dinner here soon, and he said, uh, try to get you yesterday morning. I said, no, you called Dord Pastors Conference. He said, you go to those things now? And I said, I go because I want to, to encourage other pastors, not because I have to. I, I enjoy doing that in, in the lives of other pastors because I, I know what they go through. And this one pastor man, he was talking about how God had given him a ministry of boldness. And he began to talk about how he had confronted one of the local schools. Local school would not let him baptize some of the football players on the school grounds. And he said, I got in the face. 
Got the, but no matter what I could do, they wouldn't relent. So I invited all the ball players to my church, and we baptized them there. And he said, we had a great, great time. But he said, what we need, and I agree with him, we need more boldness in the pulpit. Not to avoid conflict, because you know what? The, the gospel is confrontational. People don't like it, necessarily, if you're, if you're not a believer. So anyway, I, I just thought that was interesting that this fellow was talking about how he believed more people need to be like Paul and speak the truth even in the midst of conflict. We were bold to our God to speak, it says. It comes from two different words, literally meaning all of our speech. It donate, denotes that uh, his state of mind and his attitude were right as he began to speak of the gospel before men. It was both bold and he could speak it with confidence because he knew it to be true. When I first became um, a pastor, I had a pastor friend who gave me a gift. And his comment to me was, as I became a pastor, he said, pastors don't have time anymore to write their own sermons. So he gave me a, uh, a subscription to a thing called the Preacher's Gold Mine. I remember it like it was yesterday. Now, this is 30-something years ago. Written by a Mississippi preacher called Maze Jackson. That's a great name, isn't it? Maze Jackson. And uh, Maze Jackson produced a preacher's gold mine. It came out monthly. It had five Sunday sermons. It had five Wednesday night sermons. It had some evangelistic sermons. And they had little dots around them, and you could cut them out and slide them in your Bible. <laughs> Preach them. Because preachers didn't have time to write their own sermons anymore. So, I, I mean, I respected this man, the preacher that told me this, so I attempted it. Plus, I got a free year subscription to it. I don't know what that thing. God be expensive to get the preacher's gold mine. And uh, I preached them for a little while in that first little church that I ever pastored and hated it. Hated it. And I'll, let me tell you, again, you know we never get through with the notes, right? So... Uh, when I finally put it up was, we didn't have many guests. This is out the backside of nowhere. We didn't have many guests, small country church. But this one Sunday morning, we had a guest, and they pushed a person who was a, uh, an invalid, uh, <clears throat> unable to walk for themselves, in. And I preached that sermon, and they left. I never saw them again. And I thought, had I been studying for myself, and listening to the Spirit's guidance, I could have perhaps had some encouragement for that person today. Instead, I preached somebody else's sermon. And I never did it again. I'm, I'm honest, I never cut another one out, never used them again. Now, I did look for good illustrations in there, because he had some good illustrations, but I never would preach someone else's message again. I felt like a hypocrite, frankly. All right. Then, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, he writes. We might have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. That's a beautiful picture, isn't it, of his care for the people and his love. So we didn't seek glory from men. We don't need security or acceptance from others because we've met Jesus. He didn't spend his life trying to seek and earn man's acceptance. He knew who he was in Jesus. That's so very important 
that we know. He might have made demands on people as an apostle of Christ, but he didn't. He did not come making demands. He came sharing the gospel. He said, but we were gentle among you. Well, I think you can see what Paul's doing, right? These things that people said about us, if you'll remember when I were with, was with you, it was not that way at all. He's just reminding them of what it was like when he was there. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. Because you've become dear to us, he said. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. I told you last week, for those of you here, let me remind others of you that there was a welfare system back in the day that Paul was writing. And it was very prevalent in this, in this city. And what he knows is there's a great deal of animosity in the city of those who are working and able to work and those who simply chose to live on the government handouts. And evidently, this is fairly common amongst traveling preachers. So he said to them, listen, remember our labor and toil, laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. Now, do you, any of you remember in your studies of the Bible what Paul's trade was? He's a tent maker. And by the way, tent makers, it's just like when we say Jesus' father, Joseph, earthly father Joseph, was a carpenter. We all just think he built houses. The truth is, in the days of Jesus, houses uh, were mostly made of stone, not of wood. So they more than likely his father made furniture and not houses or anything having to do with construction like that. So when we say that Paul was a tent maker, it went much further than that. He repaired tents, he made tents, but also so many other things having to do with material, canvases and all, that he would have been um, more than able to work. And so he did. And by the way, this place is a very active place with people traveling the Ignatian, it's called the Ignatian Way. People traveling through there all the time. And it's just like Marilyn and I in an RV. Every once in a while, you've got to have somebody come and work on it, right? They would come with their caravans, and they would come with their tents, and they would come with their wineskins, and all those things needed repairing. And so Paul had no problem finding time, as he said, to toil or labor and receive money for that. So he wasn't charging them anything to be preaching there and winning some of them to Christ. When I was first called to ministry, I remember going to my first little pastor's conference and um, a preacher who has been dead for 40, I mean, maybe not 40, but 30-something years. I don't even remember his name, but everyone loved him. And he was the first one to ever say in my presence that I've repeated, and you've heard others, he said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that's what Paul is saying to them. 
You know, I, we didn't take anything from you. We didn't demand of you because I'm an apostle. I could have demanded a lot from you. We could have demanded, you know, he, he's the one that teaches that a, a preacher is worth twice the pay, but he didn't take anything from them, he said. So, we cared for you. And you should not be listening to these people who are trying to discredit us so that they might discredit the message. So let me finally get to verse 10 and talk about the integrity of his manner before God and before them. Your witnesses, he says, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom of glory. See what he's saying? He said, you know, again, your witnesses of the manner that we lived among you. And we charge everyone as a father does his own children that you may walk worthy of God who calls you. Paul had no problem even encouraging people to live as he lived before the Lord. And that, are you bold enough to do that? You know, if you want a good example... You can follow my example. That scared me to death, didn't it, you? Paul was certain that his motives were correct. And I believe that's the kind of life that draws others to follow Jesus Christ for themselves. What do they always say? That your actions speak louder than your words. And his actions were speaking loud, louder than his detractors there. Then verse 13, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, when you heard it from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. You know that not everybody who hears the word believes it's the word of God. But you must believe it is the word of God so that you might believe in God himself. And he says, I'm so glad that you, the church, receive this message as the Word of God. The people who don't receive the message as it is the Word of God, it really has no effect in their lives. You must let that Word take root and change you. I, I wrote this down. It was an illustration used by Charles Spurgeon, and I hope it makes sense to you because it is about knowing the Word of God when you receive the Word of God, while others are detractors. of the, I, I have a wonderful nephew now. I love to talk to him because every time I go to his house, he just plies me with questions. But he's been reading so many negative commentaries against the Bible and against the truth of Christianity and stuff. And it just got his mind polluted. And, and, and you have to listen where it's coming from. And I have to say sometimes that you have to receive the word as truth. You have to receive it for it to do its work. Well, here's an illustration that Spurgeon used. He said, four witnesses saw a man commit a murder. The man pleaded in court that he was not guilty and wished to establish his innocence by producing 40 persons who did not see him do it. <laughs> Think about that. What is he saying? You can talk to four people 
who have received the Word of God as the Word of God and see the change in their lives and how it ministers in their lives and how there's power in that Word. But someone might say, well, I know 40 people that read the Bible and they didn't do a thing. It's true. If they didn't receive it as the Word of God and receive it. What does the Bible say? That... If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just. Okay, we got that. But how do you get saved? If you believe in your head. No. In your heart. If you believe in your heart. There are many people out there with a head knowledge of the Bible who are lost. I think I had a couple seminary professors like that. I mean, they knew the Bible inside and out, but it didn't, it didn't show through in the way they treated people. But the Bible says we believe in our heart or with our heart. And that's what results in salvation when we do that. So let me just finish this. Four witnesses saw a man committed murder. Man pleaded he was not guilty and wished to establish his innocence by producing 40 persons who did not see him do it. And Spurgeon said that defense did not stand then and it still does not. So if 40 people declare that there is no power of the Holy Spirit speaking through the Word of God, this only proves that the 40 people do not know what others know who have received the Word of God. That's good. And Paul's confidence in the Word of God wasn't a matter of wishful thinking or blind faith. He could see that it effectively works in those people who believe God's Word works. It doesn't only bring information or produce feelings. There is power in the Word of God to change lives. Well, I want to, so that give you some time to ask questions tonight, you could read verses 14 through 16 for yourself. It is the Thessalonians. He is encouraging them to welcome suffering as they receive the Word and thus stand fast. Let me just say that again. He says in verses 14 through 16, that he says, be imitators of the church of God which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. I know that you suffered the same things from your own countrymen, right? We all suffer because, but do not let it, do not let it change you, but know that suffering is a part of the Christian life. One of the worst things to come along ever is the prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel doesn't do much for you when you are down and out, feel like you've lost your last friend, but when you know that Jesus Christ is beside you all the way, even through your suffering, uh, that's the true worth of God's word. But I want to get to Verses 17 through 20, the end of the book, end of the chapter. This is Paul explaining about the work of Satan in a Christian's life. He writes, But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. What's he saying? We, we had to leave quickly. We've never really left you in our heart. We've thought about you. We've prayed for you. But we did have to go, and we really wanted to come back to you quickly. But we couldn't. It says, therefore, 
We wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and time again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. We wanted our deepest desire was to be in your presence. We love you guys and, and we'll never forget the time that we spent with you. And we want, But every time I made the attempt to come back to Thessalonica, Satan hindered us. Paul knew that the Thessalonians encouraged, but were encouraged by his presence. But they must have wondered why he had not come more quickly. If he speaks so highly of them, why does he stay away so much, right? Why didn't they come and comfort them in person through the trials that he just got through talking to them about, but, but the affliction that they were going through? Well, he assured them it wasn't because of his lack of love or desire to be with them. It was Satan that hindered Paul and his associates from getting back to Thessalonica when they wanted to go. He assured them that he desired to be with them, but Satan hindered him, and it happened time and time again. Now, most of the Thessalonians, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't say most, many of the Thessalonians were Gentile converts, not Jewish. There were many Jewish because he spoke and taught in the Jewish synagogue. But we can see through some of the names and some of the people associated with him and even knowing something about that city that there were plenty of Gentiles who were accepting Christ there too. So when he talked about Satan here and he gave no further explanation about Satan, he must have talked about Satan when he was there. Because Satan himself is not necessarily a Gentile uh, fabrication. Satan... His roots are in the Hebrew Old Testament. And so if you're a Gentile, you knew about idols and you knew about gods and you knew about all those things, but you did not associate those with evil or Satan. That's just what people did. You know, they just worship idols and you may not believe or you may believe, but you put no evil stock in it. Well, Paul brings up this term of Satan and he knew because he had been there that he did not need to explain now about the person of Satan and about spiritual warfare. He says, Satan hindered us. Paul, in all his apostolic ministry and authority, could still be blocked by Satan. Paul, in all his apostolic authority, in his commissioning by God himself, by his personal instruction by the resurrected Jesus Christ, and his call to be the missionary to the Gentiles, all those things, yet it did not keep Satan from hindering his work. He could still be blocked. But Paul did not just receive this satanic hindrance in a fatalistic way and say, well, I guess I'll never get this done, right? I'll never get back to those people because Satan is against me. I'll never go. He did something about the hindrance. And so what I want to do is to give you 
three positives that come from Satan hindering Paul's attempt to get back with them. I want you to think about these. Number one, Paul understood that this was a satanic hindrance and that it was real. He knew this was not a random circumstance, but a direct attack from Satan. Paul had the discernment to know what was going on. Now, why do I say that? I, don't, I can't walk far away from my phone. I'll, I'll carry it. There was another instance in Paul's missionary journey where he wanted to go up into Asia Minor as he traveled from Jerusalem uh, westward. But you'll remember, and I wish I had written it down. I have not, but it is just before the Macedonian call. He attempts at least three times to go northward deeper into Asia Minor. But he said on all of those occasions, but the Spirit of God kept me from going or hindered me or blocked me from going. He discerned that in going the direction he was going, he should not go that way. It was not in God's will because it was not Satan, but the Spirit of God that was hindering him. So now listen, you can make plans, but the Bible says it is God himself who directs the steps of the righteous. And if you make plans and you're going to go particular, no matter what the motivation, the purest of motives, if it is not in God's plan, God can hinder you by His Spirit from going. But it takes spiritual discernment to know, is this God or is this Satan? So number one, we learn here that it is possible to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and to grow in His grace so that we, Bible says, this is Paul writing to the Galatian church, that if you live in the Spirit, you must also, what? Walk in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit means being led by the Spirit, guiding you where you're going. And that is a sign of spiritual maturity when you walk by the Spirit or walk in the Spirit. So the first thing we're taught here is Paul recognizes this as being a satanic attack. He's an apostle. He's a great teacher. He's a commissioned missionary by Jesus Christ, taught by Jesus himself, appeared to on the Damascus Road by a visitation of the resurrected Christ. Yet, Satan is still powerful enough to hinder him. Uh, not one of these books, but I wrote another book called Wicked Spirits. And it really was based upon the fact my study and experience dealing with demonic things in the ministry and watching these things, which I find them very entertaining on TV, where they're always out there ghost-busting, looking for ghosts and things like that. But on occasion, they're not just ghost-busting. There's some idiots out there that go, well, if this is really Satan here, if this is really a devil, come here and take me. Mm. Well, you're an idiot. <laughs> You either don't believe what you're doing or you're an idiot. Because let me tell you, I've dealt with, and perhaps you have too, people who have been demonically either influenced or possessed, and the Bible's full of them. Do not sell him short. Dark forces that Paul talks about that we tend to take up earthly devices against, he said, don't do it. 
battle those in the spirit. Okay? So number one, it is possible to become spiritually mature to be able to determine whether or not this is God's spirit directing you or Satan hindering you. Number two, Paul had faith that Satan could not entirely stop God's work. He says, for a short time, Satan hindered him. Means that Paul knew that it would be a period of time until the roadblock was overcome. I guess we could talk for just a moment. How do spiritual roadblocks become overcome? Well, prayer. That's really what Paul says when he's talking about dealing with entities and powers and principalities and those sorts of things. We do not wrestle, he said, flesh and blood. We should battle in prayer, being led by the Spirit. Not only for yourself, listen, have somebody else pray for you. You notice all the great work that Billy Graham ever did? He had an advanced team that would pray, pray, pray months before he came into a city. And every great revival that I've ever known of or studied began with prayer and confession. So Paul knew that Satan can hinder, but he cannot stop the work of God. Three. Paul was committed to fight against this roadblock any way he could. And if he couldn't be there, I I love this lesson right here. If he couldn't be there in person, his letter would go before him and teach and encourage them in his absence. I want you to think about this. So what he's doing, he's writing to them. And they're wanting to know, I'm sure, why haven't you come back? And he's saying to them, Satan keeps hindering me. But what did I tell you about this letter? It's either the first letter he wrote or perhaps the second. If he couldn't be there in person, he would write. And he would teach them with his written word and encourage them while he was absent. Satan may cause him to temporarily change his methods but not alter his goal. Many scholars believe that 1 Thessalonians was Paul's earliest letter or the second letter written as an apostle to a church if this is the case get this then satan's roadblock got paul started on writing the letters to the churches which makes up a large portion of our new testament get some lemons turn it into lemonade right just think about this what if this had not occurred and paul found it necessarily to write when he couldn't visit. We would not have much of our New Testament. So thank you, Satan, for contributing to the Word of God. We may not have had this written record of the teachings of Paul had he not been hindered. It was not Satan's purpose to somehow expedite God's Word through the written Word. But God uses even evil kings and dictators and Satan himself to get his work done. When Satan saw the great work God did through these letters, he must have regretted that it ever hindered Paul at all. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I love uh, the fact that in this book, we're about to get in chapter 3 and on the title of this series, Eager for Christ's Return. We had some indication of it here, but that's what they really want him to talk to them about. Timothy must have come back and said, they're so eager to hear from you because some have died. And they were taught by you, Paul, that Jesus is returning. Did they miss it? Because remember, theology was it's an infancy. It's just being written. As a matter of fact, the mystery of the Christ was, of the church was only revealed to Paul, and Paul given the job of explaining this mystery to the world, the mystery of the church, and then the story of the church is Christ's return for the church. And so when we get back together next week, we're going to start talking about that, about how they are eagerly awaiting the return of Jesus Christ. I hope you enjoyed uh, this evening's Bible study as I was in a class with some very attentive students. And uh, for those of you who are listening to this who can't make the next study, um, we miss you. Uh, but uh, tell your friends about this. Excited about sharing it with you as uh, we learn First Thessalonians, eager for Christ's return. And don't forget to check out the regular podcast on Let's Get Spiritual as Brother T and I get down and talk about some uh, just everyday life from a Christian perspective. God bless.